I want to begin this morning by telling a story that I think is going to illustrate the lesson I'm going to share with you today. So, on our property at home, we have two acres. And one of the cool things about it is we like to um, play kickball and baseball. And so, about a year ago, we decided to have a kickball game. And so it's me and my wife and our three children. And um, after we chose teams, I, in my infinite wisdom, decided to make the bases. And one of the bases was an apple tree that we had planted a few weeks ago. And so I'm not going to name the person from my family that did this, but one of us was rounding third, or I'm sorry, rounding second, and, and was legging out a triple. And when they did, slid into the apple tree, and the apple tree goes like that. Don't worry, the apple tree was saved, and the person was safe. But it taught me a lesson about roots, about foundation. You know, I never realized that when it comes to fruit trees, the foundation, the roots of a fruit tree are actually way bigger than the tree itself. Did y'all know that? I didn't know that either. And what I realized and thinking about this illustration and thinking about all of this is something spiritual. It's that a foundation has to be stronger, it has to be bigger than the thing that supported it. Imagine if you bought a house that had a foundation that was like this big. It wouldn't work, would it? Now, the reason I say this is because does it ever feel to you like our world has gone just a little bit crazy? Or maybe a lot crazy? Does it feel to you like we've lost a sense of even the most basic decencies? Like, love your neighbor as yourself, what a man and a woman is? You get on Instagram or Facebook or watch the news and you think, man, the world cannot go any crazy. I think the reason for that is because maybe we as uh, a nation, maybe even we as God's people at times have lost our foundation. Because the thing that we follow, the thing that we trust in has got to be bigger than ourselves. And if it's not, we're going to fall. You know, it was that way from the beginning too. If you would ask Adam and Eve what the problem was for them, I think the thing that they would tell you was, we just relied on ourselves instead of relying on someone much greater, much bigger than us, and things went awry. I heard a song recently that I just really latched on to. I think it illustrates this point really well, and I think it's going to help you and I to see the problem we have when we trust in ourselves. The song, just a few words from it say this. They say, follow your heart where it leads you. Just let that little voice inside you show the way. I guess the million dollar question is that's your heart or indigestion? Because the heart's been known to lead a fool astray. Don't we hear that all the time in our society? Follow your heart, trust yourself, rely on yourself, you be you. But that's not what we see in God's word. And every time somebody does that, it leads them astray. Let me read to you another verse. But you say, I don't have to change because that's just the way I am. I got all the proof right here I need in my Instagram. I can tell myself it's always been about me, so give me self-love and positivity. But all the good vibes in the world will never make a dead heart beat. 
when it comes down to life, we need a bigger solution than ourselves. We need a bigger foundation than ourselves. And I know that you know who that foundation is. He's the one that we sang about. He's the one that we partook of this morning with. He's Jesus. Now I want you to, in, to invite you into scriptures this morning. Just turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to see that Adam and Eve have the same problem we have in our society today and, and maybe even amongst ourselves, maybe even in our homes, maybe even amongst us, that they've lost their foundation. But before I do, I want to say a few things. Thank you for inviting us to be here today. Thank you for welcoming us and for treating us like your own. Uh, I kind of want to brag on a row of little girls over there because... Two of my little girls, they let sit with them, and that was really nice of you. Thank you. And so I've got my wife and my son and my two daughters here, and I'm thankful for that very much. Looking forward to meeting you and getting to know you and um, talking to you about the lesson. I hope that you see the point I'm making today about Jesus, and I hope you'll apply it to your life so that you can serve him more faithfully. And understand that not only can we survive this world we live in, but we can thrive in it and help other people to serve God. And that's what we're trying to do here today. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and ate. So Adam and Eve made a huge mistake. Right? If you could sit down and talk to them, what would they say to you? I'm going to suppose that they would say some things after hitting rock bottom. Number one, they would say, we cannot rely on ourselves for the greatest answers and problems in this world. Number two, Someone stronger than us is against us, and they deceived us. So we need somebody stronger than ourselves to help defeat him. And number three, they would say, even though we have failed, and even though we didn't rely upon God, God promised that someone greater than ourselves would come to save us. Who is that again? From the beginning of time, God promised that one greater than us would come to save us. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. Let's read together. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendants. Some translations say seed. It was like our brother uh, Smith taught in Bible class this morning. There was a seed coming, one seed coming, that would bruise the serpent on the excuse me, bruise the serpent on the head and he would bruise him on the hill, meaning Jesus. But what does that have to do with us today? Jesus was the answer for them. Jesus has always been the answer throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the answer today. And what's amazing to me is, what's amazing to me is when you look through the pages of the Old Testament, this is really the theme, Right? If you ever wonder, why the Old Testament? Sometimes when I study with congregations or in my years of preaching, people will ask, why do we have the Old Testament? The answer to that question is very simple. It's a continuation of the promise God made to Adam and Eve. 
It's a continuation of the promise God made to Abraham that Jesus is coming. That the serpent would be stepped on. That we wouldn't be deceived by him. That we wouldn't make ourselves the foundation of our life. That one day Jesus is going to come and trust us. So, Genesis through Malachi points to Jesus coming to save us and to be the foundation of our lives. Praise God. We can talk about that all day today. But we've chosen the text in the New Testament to study to challenge us all to make sure that we are giving Jesus everything we have in our lives. Let's begin, if you would, with me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. Jesus is the answer to the problems we have. And can I ask you a question? If you agree that we have problems in our society, that sin has devastated even the most basic and fundamental things like love, like family, has caused hatred, has caused all types of issues today, would you please follow along with me and see the answer to the problem? Because we can get lost in our hobbies, our recreation, even in news and politics, but it's not going to be bigger than us. Because it's just people. It's just things. We need someone bigger than us. Let's go to Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. Luke writes, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. Luke is saying there are a lot of accounts written about what I'm going to write. This is one that comes from an eyewitness of the things that I saw, Luke says. Verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. We have the Gospel of Luke to know for certain that what was written about Jesus was true, beyond a shadow of a doubt, and that by studying it, we might have faith in Him. Do you see that? That is something I can build my life on. I can rely on with my soul. And so here's what's amazing. As we begin to walk through the pages of the Gospel of Luke, we begin to see that that promise that God made all those years ago is being fulfilled. In Luke chapter 2, we won't turn there, but when Anna and Simeon we're talking about Jesus. They quoted from the book of Isaiah and said, My eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, He's here. Who's He? The same one that God promised all those years ago. The one who's going to save us from ourselves. John the Baptist testifies to Him in Luke chapter 3 when he says, All flesh will see salvation. And here's, the, here's how, how's this for verification. In Luke chapter 3 through chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus is verified by God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And God says, what? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
when the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus as a dove at his baptism? What's the point? There is no doubt whatsoever that Jesus has been verified as the Son of God. Now, the human element. What do you do with that information? What are you going to, when you get up from here and leave and go back home today and eat lunch and go back to your job on Monday, what are you going to do with that information? Can I give you an example of what some people did with that information? And it's going to surprise you. Continue on in the book of Luke chapter 4 with me, please. Go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus begins his ministry by going to a place that would be very difficult for any of us to go speak to. It's his hometown synagogue or place of meeting, church, basically. Now, they, they met on Saturdays because they were under the old law, right? But he goes back to his hometown synagogue. Now, I want you to imagine this place is full of people like your relatives, the people you knew growing up. So Jesus gets up and reads from the book, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1 through 2. He sets down to teach. That was the way they did things back then. They didn't stand up to teach. They sat down to teach. And he said this in Luke 4, verse 21, so nobody would doubt. He says to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, when Isaiah wrote about the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world, who was he writing about? He was writing about me, Jesus says. Right? Me. At that point, if I hear that the promised one has come, verified by John the Baptist, by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, having performed all these wondrous signs in Capernaum, I'm beginning to shake a little bit. I'm beginning to think, kind of like we sung this morning, I'm standing on holy ground. I'm in the presence of God. And they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth in verse 22 and said, wait, this is Joseph's son. But is that completely true? This is much more than Joseph's son, Right? Now, what was the reaction to this? What would you do? What would be the application to Jesus' sermon? Well, this is what they did. Luke 4, verse 28. So all in the synagogue, this is his hometown synagogue in Nazareth now, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow on the hill of which their city was built that they may throw him down over the cliff. The reason that they threw people off cliffs was so that they could stone them. Stoning was a punishment for blasphemy. They thought Jesus was being blasphemous. Why was this? Maybe they didn't want to follow Jesus. Maybe they weren't ready to make Jesus the Lord of their life, the foundation. They were happy serving themselves. And I, I've got to tell you, and this may sting a little bit, there were a lot of very religious people in that synagogue who weren't ready to say, Jesus, you're in control. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches today, maybe even here today, who are not ready to say, Jesus, you're in 100% control of my life. 
I'm going to speak the way you say. I'm going to treat others the way you say. I'm going to worship the way you say. I'm going to do the things you say. That's a challenge. But it's worth it. Because only through Him can we have salvation. Can we be saved? Can we have a way out of the chaos that is us being our own gods, right? Well, if this is where the book of Luke ended, I would be really sad, wouldn't you? We find in Luke 4, verse 30, because this was not Jesus' time to be crucified, that he passed through the midst of them and he went his way. That's really cool. We can talk about how in the world he did that. I don't know. But I want to give you an example for the rest of our time this morning of a person who, when he realized who Jesus was, was ready to be done with this world and was ready to give Jesus everything. And it cost him everything. But if you could go back and talk to him the way we talked about Adam and Eve, if you could go back and say, hey, Peter, was it worth it? He'd say, absolutely. Let's go to Luke 5 again, please. And that's going to be where we spend the rest of our time this morning, with maybe one exception. Luke chapter 5. After Jesus was rejected at Nazareth and went back to Capernaum to do various miracles, they got so excited about Jesus, they wanted Jesus to stay with them forever. Verse 42 of chapter 4. But Jesus said in verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. That's why Jesus came to preach and to teach us. Then we begin in Luke chapter 5. Let's begin in verse 1 through 3 to get the context, then we'll read verse 4. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's another word for Galilee. He's by the lake of Galilee. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So as we read later in the text, they had been out fishing all night. Um, they did not cast a line like we do here in North Alabama. They threw out these nets, and what it would be is a three-layer net, and in one layer would catch the junk, the stuff that's not supposed to be brought in. One layer would catch the fish, and the other layer would hold the fish in. So they were cleaning their nets after a long night of fishing. Verse 3, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Remember we said, teachers sit down to teach, that's what Jesus did. Apparently the multitude was so big, he had to go out on the water and teach. I've never had that many people come to hear me teach, for obvious reasons, right? He's teaching. Okay, now, verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Watch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, how many fishermen have you met in your life that were really gracious about not catching anything? You ever met one before? I haven't. Even the people who love fishing the most, when they come back and they haven't catched anything, they're like, Yeah, it wasn't a very good day. Any day on the water is better than a day away. But you know what I mean. It's not a good day. Now, it would be a really bad day if you were doing this for your living. This is Peter's living. 
And then a man who was a carpenter, who was beginning to teach people, who had healed his mother-in-law now, as we read in chapter 4, said, why don't you let your nets down for a catch? I think most of us would say something along the lines of what Peter said. Look in verse 5 with me, please. It's not on the screen. Look at verse 5 and look uh, 5. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my nets. Can I say something admirable about Simon, who's going to later become Peter? It was already called Peter earlier, but he's not referred to as Peter yet. He does it. He does it. I can think of a lot of things that God says to do in the Bible that are very hard. Whether it's teaching somebody about Jesus, whether it's abstaining from, from physical sins, whether it's telling the truth in a really tough predicament. There's a lot of hard things to do. But not only did he do it, he didn't make excuses. Can you imagine all of the great excuses that he could have had? Jesus, I've worked all night long. I'm tired. I know a whole lot more about fishing than you do. No offense. The best fishing is at night, not in the daytime. All these crowds and loud teaching have scared the fish away. We've already washed our nets, etc., etc., etc. And I feel like it's the same for us today. We read something in the Bible or we're facing coming to church or not, and we think, man, i got a hundred excuses. But I want you to think about Peter who didn't make them. Let's talk about something else that we see here that's admirable about Peter. He called Jesus Master. Now, that word basically means he takes orders from Jesus. He's willing to say, yes, sir, or yes, if you will allow me, boss, I'll do whatever you say. That's, it, my, that's admirable. We must recognize Jesus as our authority figure, as the one who tells us what we can and can't do before we truly recognize Jesus as our Lord. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I think it's amazing in this context that Peter did it. And I know that there are people here today who are doing amazing things for the Lord we don't even think about. People who can't even get out of bed hardly and come here today. And parents who, man, you stay up for all hours of the night to try to plan the best way for your children to serve the Lord. Staying up late and saying prayers and doing very difficult things. And I admire you for that. Don't stop that. That's what God wants from us. Make Jesus your foundation. Well, that's not all, is it? Verse 6. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. I preached a lesson like this one time and I asked the, crowd, the audience, I said, uh, how many people have ever fished to the point to where your whole boat was full of fish? And, you know, one, one person said, well, I caught catfish all day and my boat wasn't even close to being full of fish. I wanted to say, how would you catch catfish all day? I've never been able to do that. As a kid, I caught brim all day one day. My dad would pinch off a piece of worm and a brim would catch and catch and catch and catch. This is a miracle. 
This is an amazing miracle. Just stop and think about this. Now listen to something really interesting. They excavated a boat found from the days of Jesus. And it's, this has been verified. You can look it up on the internet. Listen to the size of the boats back then. It was 26 and a half foot long by 7 and a half foot wide. And it was so full of fish, it was sinking the boat. And it was so full of fish that they called on their partners to bring their boat. This is an amazing one. Do you trust Jesus at this point as being much larger than yourself? As being one you can rely on? As having the answers when you don't? Surely you do. Just at this one miracle. It says they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. So what's Peter's reaction to this? Can I stop it and, and make a point? This was the most financially advantageous day of his life. Like if you were an insurance salesman, you would have a, a thousand people come and sign contracts that day. Or if you were a car salesman, you sold a thousand cars that day. Think about this. He had made more money today in this one day than he had probably in years. This was the time for Peter to invest. This was the time for Peter to get more boats. This was the time for Peter to be as, as excited as possible. But he wasn't. I'm going backwards. First aid. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He couldn't even stand. I wish we all have gotten to the point in our life today where when we think about who Jesus really is, we're not even prideful enough to be able to stand. We all recognize we're in the presence of God Almighty and we say the words He said, I am a sinful man, O Lord, depart from me. I am a sinful man. This is the first step in making Jesus your foundation. And you know why? Because we all need Him. Why do we need Jesus so much? Because we don't have the answers to our own problems. What are, what are the two greatest problems in life? Number one is sin. Number two is death. How are we going to solve those problems? I look out amongst the world we live in today, and I hope, I hope you feel the same way as me. It breaks my heart. I see people looking for significance and fullness in life and changing a gender in trying to go out and sleep with as many people as possible and hurting other people and letting their children do whatever they want to do and play as much as they want to play and take up all of their whole family's time and everything they want to do. We're looking for significance in everything we can when it's right there in front of us if we're just willing to get on our knees. The problem of sin will never be solved with what we think. It will only be solved with what Jesus thinks. 
And I hope that if there are those this morning that are in that situation, that you take account of Peter. Be astonished at who Jesus is. Admit you're a sinful person and fall before Him today. Well, we have more. Verse 10 continues. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed Him. They're going to go from catching fish and selling them at the marketplace to catching people and saving themselves. Pretty cool, right? Now, I thought a lot about this. What's interesting to me is, I don't think this is Jesus saying to us today that we can't have jobs and we can't go out and make money for our family. That makes no sense, right? We have to provide. But what Jesus is saying here is, if you're not willing to give up everything that's important to you, that goes against me, and follow me, and tell others about me, if you're not willing to do that, you can't. One of the other gospel accounts said that not only did Simon leave, but he left his father and his father's place. It must have been difficult. But when you understand who you're in the presence of, it's an easy decision. So what would Peter have said? Peter would have said it's worth it. I want to encourage you to turn to Luke later on to Luke chapter 18 with me, please. Luke chapter 18. As you're turning to Luke chapter 18, I want you to just to think about your soul for, for, for just a minute. This is going to be our invitation for today, and I appreciate you listening so well and thinking about the words of Jesus today. Um, is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up myself, my life, to follow Jesus? That's what I want you to ask. There are a lot of people in here today who would answer that question, but I want you to ask it yourself, okay? Later on in Jesus' ministry, he comes across a rich man, and he had it all. And that rich man, when Jesus told him to sell all you have and give it to the poor and follow me, do you remember what that rich man did? He said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, quote, it, it's not worth it. He went away sorry. Right? So then Jesus talks about the camel and the eye of a needle. And then go on down in the passage in the context to verse 28. Peter says, see Jesus, we have left all and followed you. And of course, I think that's an illustration of what we study today. What does Jesus say to him? He says, now, there are no truer words that you could hear ever. This is not coming from me. This is coming from Jesus. And remember we said what Luke wrote down was true. He said, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many more times more in this present time 
and in the age to come, eternal life. You talk about changing your life. I was speaking to a young lady this morning who told me that she was married to her husband 62 years. Isn't that awesome? And I have no doubt that part of that time she served the Lord. And I bet you if you went and talked to her, she'd say my life changed so much for the better when I gave my life to Jesus. And it does. Every day isn't easy, but you know what? It's filled with hope. It's filled with peace. It's filled with joy. Is it filled with heartbreak? Yes. But it's also filled with love. You see, what Peter gave up was nothing compared to what he had in Jesus. And what Peter is going to get after this life is over is nothing compared to this life. So that is worth it to me. Is it worth it to you? If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God and you would like to give yourself up and be buried with Jesus in baptism to, to walk in newness of life, that's the first step, believing in Him and turning away from your sins. If you're a child of God, can I remind you of what we studied earlier? That synagogue was full of people. And they were very religious people. But when Jesus called on them to believe something very hard, they turned away. Hey, don't be that person. Believe. Receive that grace He offers. And live for Him. Because you know it's worth it. If we can help anyone in any way today, let us do so now as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Uh,